Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Pater! Pater! Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Hannafin, and welcome to Pater, a Penn State football show. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, Funk Brewing, the official craft beer partner of Pater. Now, we're big fans of Funk Citrus IPA and Silent Disco IPA, but this month, also check out the Funk Pumpkin Ale. Yes, it's October in July. And also keep an eye out for the Lucent Realms Nordic IPA. It only comes out once a year, and it's available as of the last week of July. Funk has so many great beers to choose from at their tap rooms in Emmaus, Elizabethtown, and York. And you can find them at your favorite beer distributors and grocery stores. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Also, Paydirt is brought to you by our partners at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Pater is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Also, head to shop.believe.com and search Pater for two great pieces of merchandise for the Pater show, the Pater podcast. You can get one that has the official show logo over the heart, it comes in white navy blue and black and a t-shirt and then also we have a navy blue t-shirt with the pater word mark over the heart and on the back it's got matt mcgloin's name and number circa his 2012 season again head to shop.believe.com b-l-e-a-v.com and search pater for all our great merchandise i want to thank you all for tuning in on espn radio state college as well as checking out the podcast version of this show presented by the believe network which is available now on youtube apple podcast Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of the show at ESPN Radio 1037, at QB 11 and at Tom Hannafin. While we're on the subject of merchandise, uh, for those of you on YouTube, a big shout out to the guys at Smack Apparel, especially Jeff Atanella, who reached out to me recently, gave me this fantastic shirt for Ohio State. And it just says the worst because Ohio State recently trademarked the word the and Ohio State is the worst. So I hope you guys all check them out. Smack Apparel. They're fantastic. Uh, we're going to get right into it today. McGloin is having a wonderful vacation with his family and we have a fantastic interview. It is former Penn State tight end. Adam Brenneman. Not only did he spend time at Penn State and got his degree, he went on to UMass, set plenty of records as a tight end. Then he went into coaching as well at Arizona State, became the youngest assistant coach in the nation at the time under Herm Edwards, and is doing some really exciting things now in media. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. Here's Adam Brenneman. Joined now here on Paydirt and ESPN Radio State College by Adam Brenneman, former Penn State tight end. But at this point in your life, Adam, that must feel like a relative cliff note because the amount of things that you've accomplished and that you have your hands in at this point, it's really hard to define you as a professional at this point because your resume, like our guest last week, Justin King, is simply phenomenal. Um, you can hear him on his podcast. Uh, Brenneman shows up, uh, which is fantastic. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Adam, just how busy are you? How many things are you doing actively right now? 
<laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I definitely have my hands in a lot, a lot of different things. And uh, that's, I've always kind of been that way. I've, I've liked having a lot of things going on. And uh, I know a lot of former athletes are the same way. <laughs> always, always liking to stay busy. And, uh, but it's been good. I've been able to travel all over the country doing a lot of this different media type of stuff, whether it's podcasts, whether it's content producing and uh, things like that. So it's been exciting. I, I, um, I've gotten to, you know, really talk to some, some cool people as I know you guys have on, on this show. And, and, uh, by the way, it's been great watching what you and you and Matt have kind of built with this show. It's, it's exciting to see, uh, it's, it's a really good show for Penn state fans and Appreciate it. the kind of content, the kind of content that Penn state fans want to see. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I've definitely been busy, but, uh, I've had to, had to find time to jump on here today with you. And also, you know, you're, you've got your podcast, you're, you're contributing in terms of trying to help with um, the recruiting effort within the game. Um, you also do some work as an analyst. Like now that you look at your total, <clears throat> your total body of work, uh, when you were in school at Penn State, UMass, you know, wherever you were, did you foresee this as your future or did this kind of all just one thing fell into another? You know, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I thought I was going to play in the NFL for a long time, as, as most guys do. And, um, you know, one thing leads to another and that, that doesn't happen. And then, you know, you end up trying a bunch of different things. You know, when I was in my early 20s, I got I was in politics for a little bit, was running political campaigns. I, I coached for two years. I've been in media. I've done um, different business endeavors and things like that. I, I really just like to try a lot of different things. And, um, you know, I think that was always kind of my struggle when I was in college, you know, is, is I wasn't sure what I wanted to do really. And I felt like I could be good at a few different things. And, uh, you know, as, as life all comes down to just being a matter of focus and focusing on what you really want to be good at. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to kind of be in this, the world I'm in now in this industry. And uh, I think it's, I think it fits me in, in my personality and skill set well. And, you know, but, that's not to say, you know, different opportunities come up all the time and, and, you know, you kind of never know what's going to, you know, be the next, next chapter of, of, of the story. So I just kind of work hard at what I'm doing and kind of see what, see what comes up. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of good things happen when you just work hard. You're really indicative of uh, I'll use Draymond Green's line of the new media, you know, uh, look at guys like Pat McAfee, Spice Adams, another Penn Stater. There's a lot of, you know, you want to call a content creator that's a catchy name or something like that, but yeah. just athletes having a bigger voice and a clearer voice within the media, you've become a huge part of that. And I do want to get to that, but let's cycle back to your time at Penn State as this is a Penn State football show. Um, 2013 through 2015, um, you were having opportunities here and there to be the starter at tight end, um, and you wrapped up your time. You had gotten your degree, and you decided to, to move on to UMass shortly thereafter. But reflecting on your time at Penn State, um, what did you take away from that? What did it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, Penn State's a, a special place to me for uh, a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, I went to Penn State, you know, in the middle of, of the, the, the scandal that kind of shattered uh, the Penn State program for, uh, for almost a decade, you know, and, and, you know, was able to kind of be part of that rebuilding phase or even the saving phase at Penn State as, as Matt was as well um, in a really, really big part. So. Uh, it, it means a lot to me. You know, I, I've said this this a lot in a lot of different interviews, but I, I really, when I look back on kind of my football career and the things I've done, you know, what we did at Penn State and 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 what as a collective, what that program was able to withstand uh, is probably one of the things I'm most proud of. And I don't think there's a lot of, I don't think there's many programs in the country that could withstand what Penn State went through and come out on the other side, uh, just with 
um, the, the the sanctions, with the amount of media coverage, with things like that, I, I think it was a, a testament to the to the players on the team, to the university, to the fan base, to the to the university as a whole, and, and the people all around it. Um, but it, it, it means a lot to me. I mean, I, it means a lot to me to this day. I try to help the program where I can, and I have a great relationship with a lot of the coaches and players on that team still. So. Um, you know, it's a great place. It's a special place for me. You know, transferring to UMass, as you, as you mentioned, was, you know, when I left Penn State, I, I really thought I was done playing football. You know, I left and, and I had just missed two seasons with a knee injury, um, really thought I was done playing. And, uh, you know, kind of out of the blue, my left knee started to feel better. The head coach at UMass was a family friend. Uh, and it kind of made sense. And, and, you know, I remember calling Coach Franklin and telling him, hey, I think, I think I'm going to go to UMass. And he was like, what? What do you mean UMass? Like, what, what, why are you going to go to UMass? <laughs> Um, and, but no, he was super supportive and, and yeah, the kind of the rest was history from there, but Penn State will always be a really special place for me. You're a Harrisburg kid, football's in your family lineage. So was Penn State always a goal? Like when you were being recruited, what other schools were you talking to? Yeah, my final four, I think was like Ohio State, Maryland, Notre Dame and Penn State. Um, you know, I, it's funny, you know, and like a lot of guys do, when I when I started my recruiting process, I kind of said, like, I'm not going to go to Penn State because everyone goes to Penn State from my hometown. You know, everyone from Central PA goes to Penn State, and I wanted to be different. I wanted to go somewhere else. And, uh, you know, I kind of – I kind of it wasn't going to happen, to be honest. I mean, I was I was going to go to Notre Dame or Maryland or, or Ohio State. Uh, and then Bill O'Brien got hired at Penn State. And once I met Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, got to meet him and his coaching staff and, believed in his vision and the rest was kind of history from there there it happened pretty quickly after O'Brien got hired but um but yeah I mean it certainly wasn't a foregone conclusion during my whole process I mean my, my parents will tell you too I was pretty adamant that I wasn't going to go to Penn State because I wanted to be different but again when you're when you're 16 and seven you know you, you think you know all the answers and you got it all figured out and, yep. and uh, <laughs> the reality the reality is I belonged at Penn State and I didn't I, it took me a little bit to realize it but um, I'm, I'm really glad that I, uh, that I made that decision. You experienced the change from Bill O'Brien's brief time at Penn State to the beginning of the James Franklin era, uh, James Franklin era, which we're all living in. What was that turnover like in, in your, from your eyes? Yeah, I mean, it was tough because, you know, O'Brien was such a pillar of that program. Um, he meant a lot to the players on that team. He was, you know, really uh, – you know, was kind of the perfect guy at the right time for Penn State. You know, we needed someone to lead and someone that was going to take a no BS approach to being the head coach during a really difficult time. And, you know, when we committed to Penn State, when I committed and when, when Christian Hackenberg committed, you know, there wasn't a ton of hope around the Penn State program. I mean, that's just the way it was in 2012 and 2011, 2013. Um, you know, we really were committing to Bill O'Brien and to like trusting in him and his vision. So when we left, when he left, it was difficult because we felt like, you know, we felt like our commitment to him and to that program during that, during that specific time, you know, would mean that he would be there throughout our careers. So it was difficult, but you know, at the end of the day, like I, it's hard to look back at the time I was definitely frustrated. My family was frustrated. I know the other, the other recruits or the other players in my class were frustrated, but it's looking back, I don't really blame them at all. I mean, you know, you can't fault another man for like chasing his dream and going to the next level and doing what's best for his family. It was just a difficult time. You know, it was such a, as I mentioned before, like it was such an interesting time in college football history. And, um, you know, but I think, you know, once Coach Franklin came in and it's funny, I, I had known Coach Franklin because he recruited me to Vanderbilt a little bit when he was at Vanderbilt. So oh, okay. I, knew, I knew him and his staff, I knew him and his staff a little bit. 
Um, so it, the transition wasn't, wasn't, you know, too difficult, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, it was just, it was just tough losing the coach you committed to, but, um, you know, coach Franklin and, and having a good relationship with him made it, made it easier. It's really astonishing. Everybody that you hear from, and, and obviously Matt McGloin is my co-host and he talks glowingly of Bill O'Brien, how quickly, you know, he, Bill O'Brien made himself, as you said, a pillar of Penn state. And he was only there for a very brief time. So I think there's plenty of fans yeah. that, uh, that respect him for that. Um, now, you know, you're a member of the, uh, the media, I guess we'll refer to it as that, um, looking at what James Franklin has accomplished, considering you talked about it, the Sandusky scandal, the sanctions, and now we're at a point in 2022 where it's, things have been a little rocky, rocky as of late. Um, you talk about coaches chasing their dreams. Well, now players get to chase their dreams with NIL. So it's a completely different world. As you mentioned, it's constantly changing. Um, what do you think so far of Franklin's body of work at Penn State? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been impressive. I mean, you look at, um, you know, the the run they've made, you know, the Big Ten Championship, the years after that with near six games. Um, you know, you look at, obviously, the last couple of years, um, the COVID year last year, you know, were underwhelming and, um, you know, people were frustrated and rightfully so. You know, I, I think, obviously, we all want to see Penn State winning at, a, at an extremely high level. Um, you know, but I, I think when you go back and, and you think about where the program is today, and I, I always I always tell people, you know, when what Coach Franklin walked into at Penn State really was a situation that I'm not sure any head coach has really ever had to walk into before. You're talking about a guy walking into a program that just was decimated by sanctions, um, a program that's seen four head coaches, um, if you include the interim head coaches, in the last like two years. Um, when they hadn't seen a new head coach in forever, I mean, literally forever, um, you had a locker room that was beaten down and didn't trust anybody and was torn apart. Uh, and, and really a community that was hurting and had just lost Bill O'Brien, who everyone thought was, was, uh, you know, was the one giving them hope. So it was a really difficult situation, I think, to walk into just from a locker room standpoint, um, you know, and, and things like that. And obviously sanctions, which ended up getting removed, but was, you know, those sanctions, I always, I always, you know, would tweet this during Penn State football season and people would call me a homer and things like that. But I would say, you know, like five years post, post the scandal, Penn State would be, you know, doing well, but like no one talked about the sanctions anymore. Those sanctions and the scholarship reductions, those impact the program for years to come. When you, when you lose scholarships in one class, it doesn't just affect you for one year. That affects your scholarships for the next four and then even years after that because the players that you can bring in now weren't being developed beforehand. So it, it affects you for a long period of time. Um, and I think we're just now in the last few years getting to the point where, you know, maybe in like 2017, 2018, we're like, there's no more effects from the sanctions and like it, it's, you know, there's no more excuses. Um, but I think, I think when you look at it, Penn State's recruiting at an extremely high level. I think the program's as stable today as it's, as it's been in a while. Um, you know, obviously they, they need to go out and win games. I mean, that, that, that's the bottom line. But, you know, you think about last season, you know, number four in the country undefeated going into play at Iowa and they're winning and Sean Clifford gets hurt. and Obviously the rest of the season goes downhill from there. But I, I think Coach Franklin's done a great job. I think that program is in a great place. I, I, think, I think they're recruiting, obviously, at an extremely high level, which is the, the lifeblood of college football. Um, so I, I think it's in a good spot and I, I'm excited to see where they, where they take this, you know, take this you know, coming season. And I'm excited to see Sean Clifford 
um, in his 13th year of college football. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, Sean, I, I know Sean, uh, hopefully Sean doesn't get mad about that. He's a, he's a good buddy. But, he's a very good sport kid. about that. He posted something he on Twitter that was like some Renaissance era painting. And he was like, oh, this is me, my <laughs> freshman year. I love it. No, Sean's, Sean's a great dude, man. And, but, you know, just having someone like him back with that much experience is exciting. And I think, too, you know, and you think about this is Sean Clifford's first year with having the same OC two years in a row. And he's and think about how long he's been there. So I think I think having having Mike Yersich there for another year is going to be good for him. And, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think they got a really good roster. Um, got a couple good transfers at wide receiver. Manny Diaz is the defense coordinator, obviously. So another guy with head coach experience, I think. I think it's going to be a good year for Penn State. I, I like Mitchell Tinsley. You talked about a transfer wide receiver. No he did some great stuff at Western Kentucky, and I'm very curious to see how he works uh, alongside Parker Washington. I, I want to go back to something you said about trust within the locker room, and, and I think that's such an, a fascinating thing because obviously you trusted Bill O'Brien to hopefully be there for a long time. Okay, he's no longer there. You're moving on to James Franklin's staff. So I can understand the perspective of, Okay, well, the trust from the, you know, towards the athletic department in terms of who's going to be leading the team. But was it to a degree in the locker room or in the huddle or on the field? Did you see guys playing um, kind of on islands as opposed to together? Um, I don't I don't know if 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 it was, you know, if it was you know, that evident or, or that noticeable as far as guys on the team. I think when I refer to like the trust and the locker room situation that, that coach Franklin had to walk into, I, I think that in just from being on the team at the time, our, our locker room and even us as, you know, and I can speak about my recruiting class, the 2013 class that was, you know, had, had a one year with coach O'Brien and then Franklin came in. I think we definitely had a wall put up um, and, and kind of, were a little standoffish to anyone who came in and, and kind of, you know, coach Franklin gave us his vision. And originally we were like, you know, no, this is, you know, we, this is how You've we do heard things. This. You know, we, yeah. We, yeah. We've heard it already. Um, you know, we, we, we do things, you know, a different way around here, things like that, where you get a guy that comes in from the SEC, it's a little different, you know, things like that, where it's not, not a bad thing or a good thing or anything like that. It's just, it just is the way it was. And we had been through a lot. I think that that that's like the biggest thing and the reason that the wall was put up. Um, but I think coach Franklin to his Testament did a really good job of breaking it down. And it takes time though. I mean, it takes time to, to, you know, get trust from the players and, and to build those relationships. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, but he did a really good job, you know, during his course there of, of tearing that wall down and, and let getting players to trust them and, you know, I think it's a testament now. You talk to a lot of guys. You know, I, I was just talking to Mike Kosicki the other day. And, I mean, those guys, like, speak glowingly of Coach Franklin. And, you know, it's not as, – as you know, it's not often that you have players speak glowingly about their former coaches. A lot of times you have – a lot of times there's different hard feelings. And, and, obviously, being successful helps. So, winning a Big Ten championship helps. Helps sure. everyone say good things about everybody. But I do think he did a good job of, of tearing down the, the, that wall that, that we had up. Um, when he first got there, again, just because of everything we had been through, because of the sanctions, because of the coaching changes, because of, you know, everything that the outside noise and the outside media was saying about our program, I think made it a really difficult situation. So you wrap up your time at Penn State. Uh, and for the record, you got your degree from Smeal Business College. So you did everything the right way. You got it done. And then, as you mentioned, you had some knee injuries and thinking about hanging them up. So you had to UMass after a while. How vastly different is life in the big 10 and at Penn state and marquee, you know, division one program to 
UMass, which just not, nothing against UMass. It's just a smaller scale. But we talk about it all the time in terms of going from one level to another. But did you walk in and be like, oh, it's a little smaller. There's not as many uh, lockers available. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely strange playing in Beaver Stadium and then playing at uh, McDurk Alumni Stadium in Amherst, Massachusetts. We had about 500 people in the stands for uh, for some of our games. Hell of a crowd. Um, yeah. yeah, right. No, it, it is a good place. And and and. Uh, we had a good fan base, but it's just different. I mean, it's still FBS football, um, but it's just different. We were independent, didn't have the resources we had at Penn State, obviously. Um, you know, just the following, you know, I remember I remember being at practice and, um, you know, and like it was our first practice of training camp and there was like one reporter there like covering the practice. And I was like, where's the rest of the media? <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like, oh, no, that, that, that's the reporter. Um, at Penn State, obviously, there'll be 70, report, 70 beat writers at the, um, you know, at practice. So uh, it, there were a lot of di- differences like that. I think for me, it was really good. I had a – my knee was, was pretty messed up, but I, it allowed me to go somewhere that was kind of away from my hometown, away from Penn State, where everyone's going to be asking about my knee and, um, you know, to kind of make a comeback somewhere else. It ended up working out for me. And, and um, you know, this part, too, is – and, you know, I, I wasn't able to practice at the level. I would have had to practice at Penn State to compete. Um, and then going to UMass allowed me to like take a little bit of, of weight off my practice load um, and just kind of, uh, you know, manage my, my body and myself the right way. Because to be honest, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of competition around like whether I was going to start or not. You know, when you're at a power five program, you got to compete, you got to practice for bringing guys in. Um, so UMass helped me in a lot of ways, you know, w- with that as well. And it was fun. I got to play two more years of football that I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to get to play um, anywhere else and had a lot of success doing it. Yeah, you, you set plenty of records at the time. You were one of the best tight ends in America, regardless of uh, what level you were playing at. And I, I believe your uh, your 40 time would have been the best among tight ends had you been invited to the NFL Combine that year. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think uh, so. I the, My problem that year was I was invited to the Combine and the Senior Bowl, but my I, I failed my physicals at the Senior Bowl. Gotcha. I had a bunch of you know, I ended up having to retire before I even got to the draft. It, my, that was kind of the best kept secret during my career at, at UMass was I was trying to make sure no one thought my knee was messed up, although it really was. Because, mm. you know, you don't want scouts to know that. You don't want general managers to know that. Um, and I'm just thinking, how can I prolong my career as long as possible? And, um, you know, obviously it didn't, it didn't work out too much. Nothing gets past the NFL scouts. So as soon as I went to the Senior Bowl and they were looking at my, my physicals and my MRIs, they realized pretty quickly that my knee was pretty beat up. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, before that time I was feeling pretty good and then it kind of deteriorated quickly throughout, you know, throughout the rest of, um, you know, my, my senior season at UMass. So then you transition, uh, into politics, which has become so popular among so many former athletes oh, at this point. So yeah. what led to that? Yeah. So between my time, um, at, at Penn State and UMass, I took like five months off from football because my knee was all jacked up. I thought I was done playing. And I had, a, I had a family friend, a guy that I knew for a while, Mike Regan, was running for state senate in Pennsylvania. Um, and he calls me. He's like, hey, come work on my campaign. One thing led to another. I end up being his campaign manager. I'm full-blown into politics. I know nothing about politics. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just like kind of campaigning with him throughout, you know, central Pennsylvania. It was, it was like kind of where's my hometown where I grew up. I mean, it was fun. And then, you know, he won that race. He's still a state senator today um, and a good friend. But I then go back to UMass. And then, you know, um, you know, when I when I retire from football, obviously, 
the fact that I, we had won that campaign before kind of gave me some credibility in the political space. And some people came back to me saying, Hey, would you want to keep working in politics? And, you know, I was like, show me the money and I'll stay. But yeah, <laughs> no, hey, just kidding. But, uh, like the but, big uh, 10 title, everybody loves a winner. Ex- exactly, man. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I did that. I wor- worked for like a couple of years, um, in the Harrisburg area, but then basically Pennsylvania politics and just advising and, doing some branding and, and, um, you know, campaign consulting throughout, um, throughout a couple of years there while I was also doing some media stuff. So it was fun. I mean, I think politics is definitely a contact sport, as they say, I mean, it's, uh, it's brutal and it's tough because, you know, as, as, as much as you try to do good things, you know, so many people disagree with you no matter what. Um, and it's really, as you know, this, this could be a topic for a whole nother podcast, but as you know, as even, it's it's sad that you can't we can't be at a place where we can disagree and like still get along and still talk about it. It's just so so polarizing, um, no matter what side you're at, or on both sides. To, to be quite frank with you, so um, I kind of had to had to step away from that and and uh, and you know figure out how to stay more in the football sports world because people people right. are a little bit nicer in that world, right? <laughs> I, you tell me. I was going to say you've lived it as a player and such and, uh, you know, talk about polarizing subjects. I think there's plenty of those within football and we're, sure. we're, we're, we're living in it right now in college football. Um, but you've gotten to see virtually every side now of the football world. You, I talked about some of the things you're doing in the recruiting world now, but um, you you get some, got some time as a coach, and not just anywhere, but under Herm Edwards, who's a legend uh, at Arizona State. So you talked about going from Penn State to UMass Amherst, and then you flip the map, and all of a sudden you're in Arizona in the Valley of the Sun. I mean, what was that experience like at Arizona State? Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. I mean, I got to, um, you know, I was I was there for two years. I was I was, you know, sitting one day and got a call from uh, Joe Conley was a strength coach at ASU. And he was he was uh, previously my strength coach at UMass. So he uh, he calls me one day and is like, hey, we're looking for a, a GA that, that could also coach the tight ends at ASU. And I'm like, you know, I mean, he's like, you know, would you be interested? And um you know, my, my first thought was, you know, I mean, I, I, I haven't coached football ever. Like, why am I qualified for that? <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, I had known coach, Her- coach Herm Edwards from, uh, he was my coach at the Under Armour All-American game when I was in high school. As you know, it all comes down to relationships and one thing that led to another. And it, it, this was like a Friday, they called me and I was in, I was in uh, Tempe, Arizona, like on like Tuesday uh, oh <laughs> on the coaching staff. So I left everything behind, moved out there and, um, got promoted pretty quickly into the full-time tight ends coach. I was the youngest tight ends coach in the country uh, or the youngest position coach in the country when I was a tight ends coach at ASU. And um, it was cool. I mean, it's a big time program and with a really cool coaching staff, um, you know, and I learned a lot about just football, you know, really developed my knowledge of the game. You know, when you're a player, you know, the game, but you don't know it as well as the coaches know, obviously, unless you may be a quarterback, quarterbacks probably know it pretty well, but Fair. You know, I got to really understand the game and understand college football and understand recruiting and understand what goes into building a program. And, um, you know, it was really cool. It was it was a it was a fun time for me and, and um, got to make a lot of good relationships and, and um, even got to connect with a lot of people in the industry, like coaches, even not at ASU. You know, I got to develop my relationship with Coach Franklin and co- other coaches all around college football just from being kind of in the coaching world. So it was a it was a good experience. Is coaching something you still want to do or is it kind of you've had your fill and that was a good experience and now I'm doing other things? Yeah, you know, I get that question a lot. I, I think I, I know I love football. I know I love being in sports. I love being around the, 
the kids and the players. That's what I really enjoyed about it. Um, just, you know, being in front of your tight end room of eight guys and being responsible for everything those guys do and, and them coming to you with their issues and their problems. And, hey, my girlfriend broke up with me. Hey, how do I run a stick route? You know, hey, why am I not playing more? You know, things like that. Like that, I really enjoyed that part of it and recruiting. And um, I liked it a lot. I mean, I think, I think for me, uh, I know I want to be in the sport and around it. Um, and we'll see what, what opportunities come up. You know, it's tough for me to say right now without kind of knowing, you know, what's going to come up and what's not. And, and you know, what, what also develops in my own career in the media and, and things like that. So, um We'll see, but it's definitely something that I leave the door open to, and, and I continue building those relationships because I think, um, you know, because I think it's uh, it's just the whole football sports world is, is one that I know I want to be in. And, and as you know, man, like the college football is changing so much right now. I mean, we don't even know what college football is going to look like in three years. So uh, there's just a lot of unknown right now, and and um, and you know, I'm excited to kind of see what see what pops up. So let's talk about college football and everything that's changed because the virtual map has completely changed with a lot of the conference realignment that we just saw with the Big Ten. Uh, the Pac-12 has changed. Uh, there's plenty of rumors in terms of what the Big 12 will do, the ACC, the Pac-12, whatever's left of the Pac-12 at this point. Um, it, it's fascinating because as a kid, I was always, well, the SEC is this, it's the Southeastern Conference and there's 10 teams in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 is on the Pacific yeah. Coast. And it's just, it was based on geography. And now it seems like at least for the Big Ten, it's how can we snatch up these big TV markets? Meanwhile, the SEC has been able to galvanize whole states, which is really the, the might of the Southeast Conference. And then it just seems like the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the ACC and the American, for that matter, trying to find their way and pick up the scraps. Uh, when you look yeah. at it right now, what, what's been your takeaway to all these conference realignment uh, news pieces? It's definitely crazy. I mean, I think what we're seeing is just the trend of the professionalization of college sports. I mean, it, yep. it's been happening for a while and um, you know, no longer does anyone care about what makes sense geographically. No one cares about what makes sense from a school alignment. It's just about the media revenue. Um, and, you know, obviously all these moves that are being made are all because of the TV deal, the deals and negotiations with Fox and ESPN. And, um, you know, nothing to do with uh, alignment of any geography or any institutional alignment or things like that. So, I mean, it is what it is. And I think it's the reality of the world we're living in and, you know, I, I've been a proponent for a while of, of, you know, I remember writing papers when I was in high school and college about why college athletes should get paid. Um, you know, I've been a proponent for a long time of it. I, I think that there's obviously good and bad that comes with it. I think what we're seeing right now in college football is really pay for play and not really NIL, um, which is what NIL was intended to be. But, you know, it, it's the nature of where we're at right now. If the NCAA is not going not, not gonna to enforce anything, if, if – um, if, if donors are willing to put the money up for all this and it's allowed, then it is what it is. I mean, and, it, and it's kind of you either deal with it or you get left behind. I was just reading an article with Lane Kiffin. Um, I was the head coach at Ole Miss the other day, and, and he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, that he was getting asked about NIL and college football. And he just said he point blank was like, it doesn't matter what I think of it. We either we either use it to our advantage or I'm getting fired in two years. You know, <laughs> it's like it's just the reality of the sport. And. Like I said, we're just seeing the professionalization of the whole the whole model, and um, it will, I don't I don't, know, I don't know how the college the 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 amateur athlete model is going to exist much longer because it seems like it seems like everything every way you turn the argument for keeping college athletes as amateurs is is kind of getting debunked. 
it's adapt or die period um no doubt. when you look at you know nil especially uh you know head coach of michigan uh jim harbaugh has been on the record saying that michigan will not pay players to come to michigan and then very recently an interview from penn state's new athletic director pat Kraft, uh he said the same thing they are not going to pay players to come and play at penn state um Obviously, there are other schools who are not doing that. You can look at the University of Miami, Florida. There can be conjecture about Texas A&M and plenty of other schools like that. Um, Do you think we're going to see a day where there is a regulation, maybe in the next year or two, where it's like you can't pay a player to come to your school, but you can get them NIL benefits once they're in the door? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it comes down to, um, you know, I mean, if you follow, um, you know, like the 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 laws and regulations the way they are, you really can't pay guys to go from school to school. You can't use it as inducement, although it is happening, um, you know, with these collectives and things like that that are getting coming up across college football. Um, So I I do think that there's going to be some kind of rules and regulation that comes about. I mean, obviously we're seeing a lot of talk about um, antitrust law or the federal government coming in and doing something, um, you know, I, I just think at the end of the day, you know, every coach that every coach that gets interviewed or every AD that gets interviewed is going to probably say, we're not paying guys to come to our school because that's what they have to say. Right. I mean, what, they're not going to go in there and say we are paying guys to come to our school because that would be a blatant rule violation. Because, um, you know, again, in the rules, you're not allowed to use it as an inducement. It has to be it has to be an NIL deal that um, that is, you know, equal to the real market value that that recruit or not recruit, that that player provides to your business for exchange for the money. And I think what the difference, and I, I tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago and, and got a lot of love and hate on the tweet, but it, it, it got a lot of conversations going, was that what the deals we're seeing is not actually the real market value of what these players provide in, in NIL services. So Jordan Addison's deal to go to USC, what a, a lot, rumor says it was like $3 million. I, that's rumor. I don't have a source behind that, but that's what I heard. Um, Jordan Addison isn't actually worth $3 million to any business to do a endorsement deal or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, I tons of guys that I know in the NFL that are all pissed. They can't get bigger endorsement deals that are making like stars in the NFL that aren't making tons of money that aren't making millions in endorsement deals because in the NFL, there's no recruiting. There's no inducement. They're, they're just, they're just actually getting what they're actually worth to a business in return for their marketing. Where in football right now, because of the nature of, of recruiting and the transfer portal it's not the market value it's just using it's being used for pay for play so my argument was that like the market isn't actually dictating what these what, what these players are getting it's just it's just what don't what donors are, are willing to pay to get them to transfer or go to a school and the argument i heard back was like well that actually is the market then technically um you know so it was a, a whole conversation allowed you to define what the market is my point was just that what nil was intended to be was guys being able to make money off their name, image, and likeness, like go the quarterback doing an ad for the car dealership or, you know, getting paid to go on a podcast or jersey sales getting sold and getting cut of the revenue, like things like that. Um, what it's turned into is is really not what NIL is intended to be. And then, you know, whether that's good or bad or whether it stays or changes is for someone that probably gets paid a lot more money than I do to make those decisions. But it's obviously turned into the wild, wild west in college football recruiting with the amount of money that's getting thrown around. But you know what it's like in terms of the schedule of being an FBS athlete, an FBS football player. Would you rather just get paid to play or would you rather on your off day have to go to some car dealership in the middle of the season? 
Yeah, no, it's a great point. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like if we're going down this, this path, why not just pay them out? Right. And we're going to do it this way. Should we all be so naive to think that we like the pony excess happened years ago at SMU and that hasn't happened since I, I am sure yeah. that you have known some college football players that probably got paid something when they were in school before NIL happened and no one's talking about it because they're all just trying to move on with their lives. I mean, we, we should be a little yeah. bit more honest with this. Shouldn't we? No doubt. Yeah. Donors have been paying, uh, Bruce's have been pay, paying players at certain schools for a long time, but, uh, but now it's, uh, now it's allowed and, and it can be done out in the open. I mean, the stuff that you mentioned Miami, the stuff that Miami's doing with their boosters is kind of, kind of bold. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even know how I feel about it, but it's definitely bold. I almost respect that they're out in the open like that kind of like come and get me, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. They're kind of paving the way for, um, I, I think his name's John Ruiz, the big donor at, at Miami, who's doing that, uh, doing a lot of that stuff. But um, but they're definitely bold and they're they're attacking it. And uh, you know Miami's recruiting really well because of it. But again, it's I think what everyone wants is just some parity in college football. It's just some like level playing field. That's what's been great about college football. That's what's great about the NFL. The NFL, you have the salary cap. In the NFL, you have um, you have. Uh, you know, a, a draft where the worst team gets to pick first and you have, you can't pay your, you can't just buy your, the, the best team in the NFL in college football right now. You, you can technically. And uh, I think that that's just what people want is just a level playing field. So everyone's playing by the same rules. If Penn State's not paying players, that they're not having to go compete with Ohio state who, who, you know, or some other school who may be. So I think that that's just what everyone wants. And that's what, that's what frustrates the coaches the most. I think is just the lack of parity. It's just evolving underneath their feet as every day goes by. So I'm, I'm very curious to see if we see some sort of new regulation in regards to NIL within the next, I'd say within the year or even in the next year. But um, sure. you know, I talked about it in terms of your podcast, you know, uh, Brendan shows up. It's, it's fantastic. I remember a clip of uh, yourself and Detroit Lions quarterback, Jared Goff, which was just hilarious and like you're you're getting to have these conversations that i think are so important now and we talked about you know earlier dream on green using the term the new media and people the likes of pat mcafee etc who've made this new media world where it's athletes communicating clearly with other athletes to get their story and perspective across as opposed to just the press conference of how'd you feel on third down or something like that? How enlightening has this been for you? And then also what's the feedback you're getting from the players that you're talking to on a regular basis? It's exciting. Like you said, I think the day and age of like athlete driven media is definitely here. And, and, and um, you know, it, it's been, it's been good just to, just to tell stories that the athletes want to tell and allow them to have a, a platform to get what they want in the media Um in the media without having to go through the regular channels or tell, you know, tell stories that they wouldn't normally tell at a press conference. And then, you know, for me, like being able to tell stories that other people can't tell because of my experiences. So it's just, it's been a good combination for me of kind of letting guys tell their stories and have a platform and um, just shine the light on like what it's like being an athlete and being an NFL player and things like that behind the scenes. Um, it's been exciting. And that's kind of when I started the show, the whole concept was I, I wanted to actually go into their homes and like sit down with them and like have a conversation that most fans don't ever get to see. Um, you know, that's where the whole term Brennan shows up came from um, was just like showing up at their front door, you know, and like actually talking. So it's been exciting. It's been cool. And it's been fun to have, you know, we had Jared golf, like you mentioned, or we had Kenny Pickett who just got um, drafted by the Steelers, a um, bunch of Penn state guys, like Sean Clifford came on for an episode and he was great. Um, 
Mike, Mike Kosicki, Chase Edmonds, running back for the Dolphins. A lot of cool guys that people got to, you know, like people got to see the behind the scenes look at, and I got to develop some better relationships with. So um, I'm, I'm excited. You've been into the NFT world. Um, you're working on helping guys in the recruiting world. You've done some stuff um, as an analyst, you know, obviously on your own show, but also uh, talking on, you know, the active games, you know, live game commentary, et cetera. So you've dabbled in a lot. What's the next thing that you want to jump into? Yeah, I mean, I think right now I'm, I'm really just focused on building out kind of this, you know, the, the content, um, you know, business I've kind of developed here around just producing content online on TikTok and social media across platforms and the podcast and have been having a lot of cool conversations right now with different brands and companies and and um and you know before football season starts to kind of see what see what's next and um you know and also as you mentioned the recruiting and NIL world is something I'm passionate about I mean you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people in the NIL world trying to make a lot of quick money right now. And I think just being a guy who can be a voice of reason and kind of provide some guidance for athletes is something I'm excited about. So dabbling in that space a little bit and just kind of, um, you know, I'm excited to kind of blow things up here over football season and just be kind of producing a lot of content around the season and college football as a whole. And I'm sure I'm sure around Penn State football as well. Hell yeah, man. Um, if you want to check him out uh, on Twitter at Adam Brenneman 81 and then on YouTube, uh, his channel is, is just his name, Adam Brenneman, but he does a fantastic job breaking down a lot of stuff in terms of players that you're going to see more of, players that are about to head to the National Football League. And then, of course, check out Brenneman Shows Up. It's a great podcast wherever you get your podcast. So, Adam, thank you for joining me here on Pater. Really appreciate the time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back on ESPN State College next Thursday, again, from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you want to check out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And, of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at ESPN Radio 1037, at McGloin QB 11 and at Tom Hannafin. Pater is presented by Bet Online and by Funk Brewing. Thanks again, everyone, and join us next week for more Pater. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. 